say one man can make a difference. Let's find out. Our turret! Open fire! I think they're gonna bomb London. Arm up. Follow me. You let one soldier defeat and triumph a troll! This ends now. Michael, Jeff in Las Vegas. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon to you, and I, I like your background very much. Oh, man, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. It's just for you, and I am telling you what a spectacular World War II action film. You know, I just finished watching uh, Memorial Day Marathon on Turner Classic Movies. I'm a history buff. I'm a movie buff, World War II. And I have to say, you just turned in a spectacular action film. So congratulations. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I really appreciate that, and uh, even just being mentioned in the same breath as all those classic movies. I, I really appreciate that very much. Well, your movie is based on a true story, one I have never heard of. So tell us the story behind the code of the code name Wolfhound. Well, uh, that is a story that I had never heard of either. And uh, when my writing partner, Tim Ritchie, and I were looking, uh, you know, we, we knew that we had the resources to make this film from the museum and World War II and aviation communities. Uh, we didn't want to tell a totally fictitious story, but we also, you know, we knew that we didn't have the resources to do like, you know, a grand like, you know, Patton or Saving Private Ryan or The Longest Day that covers something so huge. So, but we were looking for a kernel or a great, you know, truthful story to jump off from and then write some historical fiction, like the what if, what if this actually happened? And we we came across the story of KG-200, uh, which was an actual Luftwaffe Special Forces Squadron. Uh, and you can't, it, it's really fascinating because they're not all over the history books. They're only mentioned certain places. And it's almost like there were legends from some pilots and some people in the, Air, uh, the Army Air Corps back then. Uh, and there's some, you know, verified information such as one of their missions was to capture, force down, repair, and fly allied uh, aircraft back into battle, or they tried to. And the very first B-17 Flying Fortress uh, that was, you know, outed and like they they realized these are these are Nazi pilots flying. Uh, the U.S. Uh, Army Air Corps nicknamed that plane the Wolfhound, uh, the Wolfhound B-17. And uh, so that's that's where um, uh, the title comes from. That's where the story comes from. It's based on that. Uh, and our movie is definitely mostly historical fiction, but it's based on, uh, you know, something they really were trying to do, as well as the, you know, the Wunderwaffe uh, weapon that they were absolutely trying to make. Thank God our side got to it first. Uh, and again, it was like, what if it got that close to actually happening? Uh, and we thought that would be a hell of a movie. You know, and James Maslow, one of your stars of the film, he has a personal connection. His grandfather flew B-17s in World War II. You know, I thought that was incredible. And you also had an emotional experience when you first stepped on board a B-17 for the first time too, as well. I did. Uh, it was 2013 and uh, I was directing a commercial for the Yankee Air Museum in Michigan. Uh, and for, you know, scouting, I was just checking out the plane and the hangar. And as soon as I stepped on, I got like literally hit by a wall of emotion because I just realized, you know, the real 18, 19 year old airmen and pilots 
what they really did, you know, back then and how they really did fought and, uh, you know, fight and many sacrificing their lives, you know, for literally freedom itself in the world uh, against the greatest evil. And uh, it was a very powerful experience just looking around thinking I'm standing where they were. And I thought, wow, I got to make this commercial really good. <laughs> and, and then it translated to, wait, I think there's a movie here that we can make too. Uh, and with James, uh, his grandfather flew B-17s uh, in World War II. He was shot down twice oh. and he saved his entire crew each time, which is amazing. Uh, and the craziest thing, and we could not have planned this if we tried, um, he got the offer from our casting director on his grandfather's birthday and it was like that as soon as both like his side and our team found that out it's like it's got to be him james has to do this like this is this is too coincidental That's and i gotta <laughs> say yeah and, and i couldn't imagine uh the passion the the hunger the intensity he brought to it the honesty he brought to it i couldn't imagine anybody else playing the part uh for real you know, the authenticity and detail had to be essential for this movie, especially concerning the aircraft, but the uniforms, you know, the ribbons and the patches. I mean, everything looked like it was just down to the very detail. And the aircraft are spectacular because, you know, Dunkirk recently used real combat planes, but it wasn't about dogfighting, you know, so they were just flying around. The challenges must have been enormous for this film because those were actual planes you were using. I mean, I was watching. I mean, it, I was holding my breath at times. Really? That's yes. great to hear. Uh, <laughs> so I, I will say um, the challenge of doing it for real, uh, just a wee bit of a challenge. Uh, and um, it's it's interesting you mentioned Dunkirk because Craig Hosking, who was their lead pilot and aerial coordinator uh, on Dunkirk and a bunch of Nolan's movies, uh, and he also flew for Pearl Harbor for Michael Bay, um, he was our aerial coordinator and lead pilot there is no way we would have been able to pull this off without him. And I'm still kind of pinching myself that he said yes to me, you know, cold calling him up saying, hey, would you do this crazy stuff with me uh, and actually, you know, try to do uh, a World War II, you know, aerial action movie for real. And he was like, let's do it. Like he, he loved the idea. Uh, and the Military Aviation Museum down in Virginia Beach, uh, they supplied the B-25, the Spitfire, the Hurricane, uh, both P-51D Mustangs, uh, the ME-109, uh, which is actually one of three still flying in the world that were German built in a German factory. The other nine were built in Spain. Uh, and um, so, you know, I, I just, that still blows my mind that that's in our film. Uh, oh and we treat them, we treat them like gold. Uh, we were very careful uh we you know if, if craig ever said uh, i don't know we shouldn't do that you know with this aircraft i said okay what can we do you know you tell me and um you know the museums the pilots the army of mechanics that kept it going because uh, i'll tell you a, a little secret every plane broke down at least once during filming uh and every time it happened it was like a oh crap you know is the movie over or can we keep going and um, the authenticity that the aircraft brought, plus the emotion, the drama, the excitement of doing it for real, uh, I just don't think you can get that with CG and, and, and special effects. And there's, there's a lot of CG in the movie, the tracer fire, some of the model destruction shots. Uh, we shot scale models to begin with and then enhanced them with CG so that the artists had 
real physics to work with and real pyro like the old Star Wars movies uh, blowing up models. Uh, but you know, we really did commit to having not a single fully CG plane in the film. And I'm very proud of that. Oh, it, um, it shows. Yeah, it shows definitely. And, and I love how you use, it, it, this is a compliment, how you use kind of like 1960s World War II action sequences, like where Eagle's there and something. So when the Nazis would blow up and they would turn around and fly and be like catapulted. And I mean, it just, <laughs> it just you know, it just gave it that Hollywood kind of action to it. You know, I didn't want realism because this was kind of like a fantasy, you know, just kind of like a propaganda of American film. So I like how you didn't make it graphic. You know, it was a fun if that's the right word. It was just a great uh, kind of a neutral action film, which I liked. I really appreciate that. And uh, yes, we we have, um, I, I refer to it as flinging Nazis shots uh, <laughs> on ratchets and, and wires and trampolines and all that. Um, I grew up loving uh, 80s and 90s action movies. And um, those are my favorite directors, you know, uh, James Cameron, John Woo, Tony and Ridley Scott. Um, Russell Mulcahy, John McTiernan, Sam Raimi. Uh, in Army of Darkness, there's some similar flinging deadite skeletons, you know, as, as the Nazis. And um, I definitely was trying to go much more Indiana Jones than Saving Private Ryan. Uh, I wanted this to be a movie that, you know, parents could watch with their kids, hopefully, uh, and appreciate, you know, the aerial sequences, the whole story. Uh, and so we we definitely did want it to be hard hitting, but not overly graphic. And uh, I actually was surprised. We were aiming for PG-13. We got an R because I think there were there were just a few sequences that were just a little harder than the MPA was comfortable with. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I'm a, I'm a Jewish man. My family, uh, you know, has strong Jewish roots here in Detroit. Um, I wanted to portray the Nazis as Nazis. And so the movie had to pack, you know, an emotional and, and powerful punch feel-wise as well. So they, they actually said, like, you can get a PG-13 if you, you know, trim some of the harder stuff and cut this out, cut that out. And it's like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that because that would cut out some of the soul of the movie. And I, I wanted you to still have the weight of World War II. Right. Uh, no sugarcoating. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I have to ask you about that scene where the the when they're attacking the base and the the Nazi flag is on fire. Now, was that a computer effect, or did it look like a real flag that was burning? And if it was, that had to be one take. You didn't have a pile of flags to burn, right? No, that was absolutely one hundred percent real. There was no CG. Um, we had one flag, and we actually had a promise. Uh, we had to ask two companies in Michigan. The first one said. We're not printing a flag like that and hung up on us. Yeah. Uh, and then the second company said, okay, we, we know it's for a movie, promise it's gonna be destroyed uh, afterwards. And I said, oh, don't worry, it's gonna be destroyed. So um, the, we had one take, we had three cameras on it. I was operating one of them and um, it was like doused in uh, either kerosene or, or, or gas right before we did it. And um, fun little story. Uh, so it did not drop the way it was supposed to. It, it lit on fire and I wanted it to drop like all at once, like the banner at the end of the original Jurassic Park in right. front of the T-Rex. And it was like, okay, and go drop the flag. And the special effects uh, coordinator pushes the button and nothing happens. And we're like, <laughs> hey, wait a minute, the, fl the flag's on fire. This is not good. So uh, the assistant special effects coordinator 
ran up in the, you know, the rafters and he manually cut as fast as he could uh, the ropes holding it up. So that's why one side falls and then the other side falls. And it actually wound up being more dramatic that way. But um, I'm very thankful we didn't burn down the hangar in the process. <laughs> it looked like the Hindenburg going up, I'll tell you. <laughs> that was a Well, best. thank you. That We were going for that. We just were going for, you know, no no screw ups on that but that that was a happy accident i'll i'll say that worked out yeah and finally today you know uh, the the jewish character friedman who plays the flute uh in the movie he plays when johnny comes marching home now i thought that was a nod to stalag 17 you know with william holden because that's what they sing at the end of the movie you know when they find out who the german spy is um so i don't know if there was a a, a hidden meeting just for using that song or or what was the backstory on that you actually nailed it. Um, I mean, I grew up loving those movies. <laughs> yep, you got it. Yes. Uh, and I, I really, I thought, um, you know, Memphis Bell, uh, you know, had, uh, you know, there. So I think it was Oh Danny Boy in that movie, uh, and uh, kind of as an homage to that film, which I grew up on as well, and uh, Stylog Seventeen. Uh, that's why I did choose that. Uh, and I got to say, um, that that actor uh, Taylor Novak. Uh, and it was uh, Friedman, uh, the character. Right. I he does some of the finest acting in the movie, in my opinion. Absolutely. And uh, he he had the task of really shouldering a lot of emotional weight uh, in in his scenes. And uh, one of the nicest actors I've ever worked with, but also just the the emotion that he was able to convey. Um, it's I still tear up at at uh, some of those scenes. Yeah, even though you're acting, it's 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 hard not to. Put yourself in history's place when you're when you're portraying those kind of roles and guys dressed up in Nazi uniforms. So I'm sure the reality hit him and like everyone else. And uh, yeah, because I have a I have a half sheet, an original half sheet of Stalag 17. William Holden's my favorite actor. So right away, you can't you couldn't have that song in a World War II film. It wasn't a nod to Stalag 17. So I'm glad you glad to hear you did that. And uh, also today, uh, you know, we just had the seventh anniversary of uh, D-Day two days a couple days ago. So uh, this is such a great timing, you know, because I think that. I'm a history buff, but you're going to get a whole new generation of kids and fans to see this movie and be interested in history and interested in, in the greatest generation. So I just want to say congratulations. You just did a great job. So thank you. Thank you so much, man. I, I truly appreciate that. And um, if if people are still watching Wolfhound, uh, you know, 30, 40, 50 years from now, um, along with all those other classics, I mean, I would be on cloud nine. So um, I really... I really hope that uh, audiences enjoy it uh, and also, you know, feel that same power and emotion uh, that you did. Uh, and I'm, I'm really, you're the first person who picked up on the Stalag 17 <laughs> connection. And it's not really an accident that the character's name is Holden. I, James I heard that either. too. I, he said Holden a couple of times. I go, oh, come on, Michael. Really? You know, I, I connected the dots. Don't worry. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks so much and good luck with the film. And let's talk again soon. Thank you so much, man. Absolutely.